Kiara. You're listening to a podcast for the Salvation Army Glen Eden. We hope that you are challenged and inspired by what you hear today. If you are ever in Auckland, join us each Sunday at 9.30am or visit salvationarmy.org.nz for more information on the work we do in Aotearoa. So yeah, if you've got a Bible, Acts 27 is where we're going to. And we're in the third week, oh my goodness, our third week of Crash the Chatterbox, our series to help us hear God's voice above all others. And what we don't often realize is that there are voices inside our heads. Ooh, And it sounds a little bit creepy and a little bit crazy, but actually we all do. We all get up in the morning and from the moment we open our our eyes, there is voices that tell us things about ourselves. And some of those voices are the voice of the chatterbox, they're the voice of lies. And these are the things that try and hold us back from the freedom and the plans that God has for our lives. And so we want to crash those voices this morning. We want to learn to crash these voices through this series. And last week we talked about Moses, my favorite guy in the Bible. I hope you were here for that. If you weren't, I encourage you to talk to someone about it and have a discussion about my man named Moses because he struggled with insecurity for a lot of us life. And he was lied to by this voice that said, you will never be good enough. And we talked about how to crash that with the voice of God that says, I am, I am. And what I am, you are. And if I'm good enough, you're good enough. And if I am loved, then you can be too. And if I have a purpose for your life, then you have a purpose for your life. I am. I am, that is the voice of God speaking to us over the lies of the chatterbox. So I hope that you had the chance in the last week to base a little bit more of how you view yourself on how God sees you and not the voice that lies. Cause that was the point. I hope you got that cause that was the point. But this week we're looking at overcoming the lie of fear in our lives. And I'm not talking about how to help you with your fear of spiders, okay? So don't get too excited. I'd love to be able to help you with that. I'd love to be able to help myself with that, but that's not gonna happen. I'm talking about a different kind of fear this morning, a fear you might not even know that you have. So let's get straight into it. Acts chapter 27. So there's this guy and his name is Paul. And this is a book written by his friend named Luke. Okay, you following? Luke wrote this book about his buddy named Paul. Now, Paul was a man who hated Christians his whole life. Hated them. That was until he met Jesus. (laughs) And if you've met Jesus before, as in you've become a Christian, you've accepted him into your life, you'll know it's hard to ignore Jesus once you've encountered him, am I right? Yeah, so Paul went from being this man who hated Christians to being a Christian himself. And he spent the rest of his life telling other people about what Jesus had done for him and how he could do the same for others. But this newfound Christianity got Paul into a lot of trouble. And so we come into the story in the middle of Paul's trouble, just one of his many. And he's actually been taken prisoner. 
for what he spoke about Jesus. So he's in chains and he's been taken to his trial in Rome. So here he is on a boat with hundreds of other prisoners in chains heading to a foreign land. And this is where we meet Paul and the story because he's about to get into a bit of a storm, a bit of a storm. And he's gonna have to choose what voice he will listen to. Because remember, the voice that we believe determines the future we will experience. So let's have a look. We're starting at verse 9. Much time had been lost, and sailing had already become dangerous, because by now it was the Day of Atonement. So Paul warned them, Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo, and to our own lives also. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and the owner of the ship. And you know what's really interesting is you get to this part in the story and you think, cool, yeah, that makes sense. If you were on a boat and a preacher stood up, like me, and said, guys, I think this might be dangerous. I think, I think we should not go. And the, the runner of the ship, the pilot said, it's going to be okay. Who do you think you would listen to? Me or the pilot? It seems obvious, doesn't it? It makes sense. Of course, the guy looking after the prisoners is going to take the side of the pilot and the owner of the ship over the preacher named Paul. But here's the thing about Paul in this story is that he doesn't just represent the voice of himself. He represents the voice of God. And these men are about to get into a lot of trouble by following or steering the ship based on their own senses. And so the first thing that we're going to do this morning, if we want to crash the voice of fear in our lives, is to steer by the Spirit and not by the senses to steer by the Spirit and not by our senses. You know your life is gonna be steered by something? Did you know that? You're gonna head in a certain direction in life, whether you do it on purpose or not. And there's two things that you can steer your life by. You can steer it by your senses. And you know, we live in a world that trains us to steer our lives by our senses, don't we? Let's base our decisions, our actions, our choices by what we feel, by what we're comfortable with, by what mood I might find myself in today. That is the way that we're trained to live our lives, by what we can see in front of us, by why we can hear and touch and smell and taste. Let's follow after those things, our senses, our senses. But here's the thing, here's the thing about our senses, is what if there's more than what we can just see? And if you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus, then I hope my prayer is that you understand what I mean by this. There is more to life than what we can see and hear and touch and taste and feel. There's something else going on. Have you felt it? Yeah. There's something more. There's the Spirit. There's the Spirit. And you know what? As people of faith, we choose to live by something else. 
We choose to live not by what is just in front of us, but by the Spirit of God. But you know, sometimes that's really difficult because it's not going to make sense. It doesn't make sense for the people on the ship to listen to Paul over the pilot. And you know, sometimes in your life, it's not gonna make sense to trust that everything's gonna be okay when everything around you that you see and hear says otherwise. You know, it's not gonna make sense to have courage when you're afraid. You know, it's not gonna make sense to believe in a God you can't see when the storm you can see so clearly in your life. But that is the calling of faith to live by the Spirit and not by our senses. Because maybe there's more going on than we realize. And I wanna ask you this question. Can your senses predict your future? When you're trying to make a decision about how you steer your life, will it be by the Spirit or will it be by my senses? Can your senses predict your future? Can your feelings predict your future? Because I think you would find that most often they can't. So who knows your tomorrow? Who knows the future for your life? God. God. So although it might not make sense, when fear comes into our lives, I'm talking about worry this morning. Yeah, I'm talking about the big things in life, but I'm also talking about the little everyday things that keep us up at night, the things that you fall asleep to, the things that you worry about, the things that you get anxiety over every single day of your life, the what-ifs of your life. Have you ever had a what-if moment? What if they don't like me? What if I embarrass myself? What if I fail? What if I can never do anything better than what I'm doing now? We talked about that a little bit last week. These are the things that worry us. And it might not make sense to trust in a God that you can't see, but He is the only one who knows your future. And so when something is in front of you that is causing you fear and worry and anxiety, the only one that you can go to who can steer you in a direction that will bring you freedom and life is not what you see and touch and taste. It's the Spirit of God. Amen, Dirk. Thank you. It's the Spirit of God. I hope that makes sense to you this morning. And so Paul gives out this warning. He gives out this warning. Men, it's gonna be dangerous. But the warning is ignored. (laughs) I need to tell you this morning, just on a side note, that if we ignore the warnings of God, we will always suffer loss. Is anyone brave enough this morning to admit that they have suffered loss because they have ignored a warning from God? And we're gonna thank you, brave people. I'm not alone, yay. We'll have a support group after the meeting, all four of us. Um, You know, the thing is, I just need to make a quick point about this. We're going to talk about it more next week. But I need you to understand that there is a difference between the warning of God and the worry of the chatterbox. And that's really important because the warnings of God, they are always going to give us strength and courage to do the right thing. 
They're always gonna give us everything we need to pursue the right plan that God has for our life. But worry is very different. Worry will not strengthen your faith, it will decrease it. Worry will not bring you closer to God, it will take you further away from God. Worry is not the same as a warning from God. Does that make sense to you this morning? Can you understand the difference? I'll try and explain it another way. So um, I wanna give you a sneak peek about next week, hopefully it'll make you excited. But there's a difference between worry and warning. And here's what it is. Condemnation in your life will always shame you into staying where you are, but the conviction of God will give you the courage to move from there. Does that make sense? The conviction of God will give you the courage to move from where you are, but condemnation will shame you into staying there. So I'm not talking about the warning of God this morning. I'm talking about the worry of fear. I'm talking about the lie of the chatterbox. I'm talking about the things that you go over and over, over and over again in your mind. Over and over again that worry you, that keep you up at night, that keep you in fear. Joyce Meyer puts it this way. Anyone like Joyce Meyer? Actually, Jordan and I were talking about Joyce Meyer yesterday, and he was reminding me of a time when um, him and his friend were going to start a line of Joyce Meyer jeans um, special edition, which sounded really great. Hopefully, they'll um, bring that back sometime. But Joyce Meyer puts it this way, worry is a down payment on a future you might never experience. Worry is a down payment on a future you might never experience. Do you really wanna invest in something as uncertain as that? Good old Joyce, eh? Auntie Joyce. So here we go, let's carry on with the story. Are you being steered by the spirit or by your senses? So since the harbour was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided, oh, I could do a whole nother sermon on going with the majority, but anyway, that we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. So there was a harbour in Crete facing both southwest and northwest. When a gentle south wind began to blow, oh, ignoring God's warning might start out looking okay, they saw their opportunity. So they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. So Paul was right, Paul was right. And the men, instead of hearing God's voice above all others, heard all other voices over God's. And it was about to get them into a lot of trouble. Ever ignored God's warning and got into a lot of trouble? There's a small group of us here this morning. Ever sent a Facebook message when you were in a bad mood? Oh, hashtag regrets, yes. Steering by our emotions and our feelings instead of by our faith. Save that message and send it later. In fact, sometimes can I just tell you that doesn't help? Because I've reread things like five times and then sent them and still got in trouble. So sometimes you just need not write it in the first place, okay? But that's a whole nother thing you can pray for me about later. 
Okay, so carrying on. So verse 15, the ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the winds. So we gave way to it and were driven along. Now I want you to take a special note of this phrase, we were driven along. You know, so many of us live with a sense of fear that we just believe is normal. We just believe that it's normal. And we go through life every single day worried about what people will think, worried about what they will believe about us, worry about our family, worry about our friends, worry about our health. You see, we get up in the morning and we think to ourselves, well, what will happen if I succeed? But then I'm also worried about failing. And you know, we think to ourselves, well, what will happen if I spend too much time working hard, then other people are going to think I don't love my family. If I spend too much time with my family, people are going to think I don't care about my work. And if I ask my boss for that pay rise that I need, then he's going to think I'm just asked after the money. But if I don't ask him for the money, then my family's going to get into a bad financial situation. And if I don't look after my health, then people are going to think that I'm lazy. But if I look after my health, then people are going to think I'm one of those judgy vegan people. And I don't want to be that either, right? So, oh my goodness, I'm just worried. And you know, if life is bad, well, it'll only get worse. And if life is good, well, you know what they say, things that go up must come down. And you worry and it keeps you up. And this pattern of your life of anxiety and and distress goes every single day. And the interesting thing about this, guys, is that we're so fooled. We're so blinded. Because we think that through our worry, we are controlling our lives. It's okay if I fret about it, if I think about it, if I spend time at night stressing about it, then I'm in control of it. Then I can make sure that my family will be okay. Then I can make sure that people will like me. But the thing is, when you get to this point in your life, you are no longer in control. You are being driven along by fear and your fears have control of you. And it's so sad because it's so much less than what God has planned for us. It's so much less. And we think that our worry gives us control, but in fact, we are being driven along and our fear is controlling us. What if, what if, What if we're being driven along by fear? You know, some of us will never enjoy our family because we're so consumed with worrying that something will happen to them, that we can't even be in the moment. And you know, some of us will never enjoy our ministries because we're so concerned with pleasing others and making sure that everyone that we serve will be happy with the way that we're doing it, that we can't even see the joy in the ministry that we have. And some of us will never enjoy our jobs because we're so worried about whether or not it's the right job or whether it's making us enough money or whether it makes us look successful enough or big enough or brave enough that we can't live in the moment. And we miss out on life because of our fears 
that we think are helping us control our environment, but actually they are driving us along and we do not have an anchor to hold us to the place that God has that would bring us freedom and hope and life. So are we being steered by the spirit or by our senses? Is fear driving us along? As we passed to the lee of a small island called Coda, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure, verse 17. So the men hoisted it aboard. Then they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together because they were afraid they would run aground on the sandbars. They lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. Now I'm just going with it. I'm just going with my fear. I'm just going with my panic. I'm just going with my worries in life. It's too past what I can even do anything about it. I'm letting myself be driven along. And we took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day we began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. We'll do anything to try and save this ship. And this is key. This is verse 20. This is fear's ultimate goal in your life. When you start to allow yourself to be driven along by fear and worry and anxiety, this is where you will ultimately get to. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. We gave up all hope. You know, some of you here today might feel hopeless. It was okay when you could see some light at the end of the tunnel, but now fear has taken you so far down a track that you weren't expected that now there's no hope. You know, when people talk about depression, they talk about this idea of people getting to a point where they do not believe that life could get any better than what it is right now, that they cannot see any hope that their life could be more than what it is right now. They are hopeless. Are you hopeless? Has fear or worry or anxiety taken over your life and now you can't imagine a life without the fear you experience every day? Because if that's you this morning, the story has a good end. So I want you to listen to this next part because remember that this story is written by a guy named Luke. But it's about a guy named Paul. And so in this part of the story, Luke writes that we finally gave up all hope of being saved. And you know, I can imagine Peter reading the story back later and going, wait, 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 Luke. What do you mean we gave up all hope? What do you mean we? Hello, earth to Luke. Because Paul chose to listen to God's voice above all others in the storm. 
And this is what he says in verse 21. After they had gone a long time without food, so Paul was hangry, just make a mental note of that, he stood up before them and said, men, you should have taken my advice. You know, doesn't it work so well for us when we start, I told you so? Mm, mm. But Paul is hangry, so give him a break, okay? Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now... But now, I need to talk to you about these two little words because they are so important to the context of this story. But now, but now, you know, you'd be surprised how much of our fear is driven by regret. Yeah? Because it's one thing to believe that God will get you out of a storm if he put you there. Now, I'm not saying that God causes bad things to happen in your life. But if you're in a job that you feel called to be at, then when things are tough, yeah, you know what? You might actually be able to believe that God will help you out. And you know, if you're raising a family and you believe that your children are a gift from God on the good days, um, then you know, you're going to believe that even when your kids are trouble, that God is going to help you get through that. But what about the situations that you got yourself into, yeah? Well, how is God gonna get us out of that? And we worry a lot based on our regrets. We do, because we get ourselves into situations and we hear the lie of the chatterbox that tells us, well, you got yourself into this mess, you're gonna have to get yourself out. God would have helped you if you'd listened to his warning, but you didn't, so now you're on your own. Now you gotta figure this out. Now you better worry because you're in a lot of trouble and you haven't got anyone to help you. But that is the voice of the chatterbox. It is not the voice of God, because listen to the context of the scripture this morning, But now, men, you should have listened to me, but you didn't, but now, because God is not the God of your perfect tomorrow, which I promise you will never come, but God is the God of your today. And whether you made a mistake yesterday or whether you've been making a mistake for the last 20 years of your life, now is the God that you have. He wants to help you now. You know, the Bible says that God is an ever present help in times of trouble, not trouble that just you find yourself in, but trouble that maybe you caused yourself. And God is here to help you now, to bring you freedom from your fear now. And fear will paralyze you and make you stay where you are because of shame, because of fear of what you've done catching up with you. You know, I didn't look after my health well when I was young. So now I'm worried about what it's going to be like for me in 10 years time. I didn't study that hard at school. So now I'm worried I'm never going to get a good job. I didn't love my family the way that I should. So now I'm worried I might never have a good relationship with them. But now that is the God that you serve. And if you messed up or if circumstances just threw the storm at you, God is here to rescue you from your storm. That's the kind of God that you serve. Don't be paralyzed by regret or shame, and we're gonna talk about that more next week, or fear. Because you have a God that wants to help you now. So what happens next? I urge you, Paul says, to fix your focus and keep your courage, because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. So here's number two. 
Number one is that we need to steer by the spirit and not by our senses. And number two to crashing fear in our lives is to fix our focus and keep our courage. So guys, there's good news and there's bad news. (laughs) The good news is we're all gonna live. The bad news is that the ship is gonna be destroyed. Just on the side note, we'll carry on. Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong, I know who I am, I know whose I am, I serve, stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. That's part B. So how do you keep up your courage when the ship is going down? Turn to someone next to you, if there is someone, and say, the ship is going down. I need to hear some accents. I'm not hearing any impersonations right now. The ship is going down. Mm, It's gone. Good. Okay. Good, the ship is going down. How do you keep up your courage when the ship is going down? So the first thing you need to do is separate your courage from the conditions. Did you know that the conditions are not always in your control? You can't actually determine the health of your family. Did you know that? You can try, and I'm not saying we shouldn't try to eat well or exercise, but at the end of the day, I know a lot of healthy people who haven't made it. You can't control that condition in your life. And did you know that you can't control whether or not people are gonna like you? You can't. You know, I used to be a people pleaser. I know how hard it is when you want everyone to like you and everything you do, you're always worried about how other people perceive what you are doing. But you know, now I'm one of the people who gets frustrated by people pleasers. So if you are a people pleaser in the room like me or you're a recovering people pleaser, then I need to tell you this, that there are people who don't like people pleasers. So even if you wanna please people, those people are never going to like you. You cannot win this argument with yourself. So you can't control it, you can't. It's beyond your own hope. You can't control the conditions of the storm. You can control your courage in the storm. That is completely and totally up to you. So how do you keep your courage up? It has to not be tied to the conditions. If your courage is tied to the conditions, then when your bank account goes down, your courage goes down. When a relationship isn't going well, your courage isn't going well either. So how do you keep your courage separate from the conditions? You have to feed it. You have to feed it. We don't need to pray to God and ask Him for courage. He's already given us courage. The spirit that lives inside of us is a spirit of courage. The Bible says that God has not given you a spirit Yeah, thank you, Dirk, of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. 
a spirit of courage. What we need to ask God to help us with is to keep our courage up. And how do we do that? We feed it. I wanna ask you, how many times a day do you feed your fear? How many times a day do you feed your fear? How often do you Google what you're dying of when you feel a little bit of back pain? Hmm, right? Hmm, anyone wanna own up to that in the room? Yeah? How often do you go to A&E when you've got a little cut on your hand? Actually, that would be me, I hate blood. But um, seriously, how often do we feed our fear? And not our courage. Imagine what could happen to your life if you spent as much time feeding your courage as you did feeding your fears. Imagine if you laid awake at night and instead of feeding your fear, instead of playing out possibilities in your mind, you said to yourself, God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. What if you said that a hundred times? I wonder what a difference that would make if you fed that into your mind instead of the fear that you do every day. You gotta feed your courage if you want it to grow. I wanna ask you a question. Anyone know this dude named Peter in the Bible? Do you remember that guy? So he was this follower of Jesus who was a little bit cray cray and um, he had a bit of a, you know, problems with uh, tension spans and um, anger and things like that, but that's fine, he was human. So Peter one day, he's out in a boat, oh, similar to Paul, um, and he sees Jesus out on the middle of a lake without a boat. He's standing on top of the water. Hint, that's impossible. So Peter sees this and he's like, bro, if you are Jesus, tell me, because I'm so gonna come out there, that looks awesome. And Jesus is like, Peter, it's totes me, come on out. So Peter gets out of the boat and he's walking on water, like on the top, like walking on sunshine, but water, right? So he's walking. And he's got his eyes fixed on Jesus. You know this part of the story. You've heard it preached a million times. He's got his eyes fixed on Jesus and he's walking. I wanna ask you this question because all of a sudden he takes his focus off Jesus and he starts to sink, doesn't he? So here's the question, okay? Is Peter more capable of physically walking on the water if the conditions had been better? Is Peter physically more capable of doing a miraculous thing by walking on top of the water if it had been calm? Would that have made it easier? Have you ever gone out on a sunny day to a beach in Auckland and gone, you know what, today looks like the day. This weather is looking good, I'm gonna give this a go. Because I can't do it on a rainy day, but if there's Auckland sun, yeah, I'm on it. I'm on it. No! The conditions is not what made Peter able to do this impossible thing. It was the fact that he had his eyes fixed on Jesus who gave him the courage that no matter what the impossible situation was, he would be okay. And he got into trouble when he took his eyes off the one who held his future and looked around at his fears. So your circumstance doesn't need to change for you to have more courage. The waves don't need to be calmer for you to get through the storm. You need to change your focus, fix your eyes on Jesus and feed your courage, not your fear. I wanna give you an example from my own life. Dun, 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 who's got their popcorn? Okay, no. 
Did you know that before I got married, that, can I just say, I know that a lot of my stories are about Jordan, and I promise it's not a secret cry for help. It's just that the chatterbox is really loud for me in the area of my relationship, so I can think of a lot of examples from it. But that's why I share it. So for you, your relationship might not be where the chatterbox is loud. It might be somewhere else. You know, I'm really lucky that the chatterbox is really loud for me in my ministry and my marriage. Just two really tiny parts of my life, you know. But okay, so that's why Jordan will come up in the story again, but it's okay, don't worry. So, um... So before I got married, um, I was really happy being single. This is not a cry for help, okay? I have said this. I was really happy. Like, I loved it. I thought it was great. I was like a promoter of singleness, not just like, you know, a single person, but like a let's go out into the streets and promote this because this is the way of life. I loved it. But it wasn't, um, it wasn't until that I met Jordan and I had this realization that I had found a person that I think I can do more for God with than I can by myself. Wow, no one else is excited about that. Um, That I realized I was going to have to rethink my views on marriage. And it was at this time in my life where I realized that I wasn't just happy being single, I was also afraid of being married. And it was a really big thing for me to work through a really big thing. Because although I had seen some good relationships, which I had, very good, I'd also seen some bad ones. I'd also seen how my mum lost who she was because of the person that she was married to. I saw a strong, independent woman become nothing because of marriage. And I was afraid that this person that I was so happy with, the single, independent, strong, not all the time, person, would become nothing. And I was afraid. And I was also afraid it might not work out because I'd seen that as well, right? Divorce is pretty common. I had more friends at school with single parents than I did married parents. Sad, but true. So I was afraid that it wouldn't work out. And you know, often as Christians, we can think that the way to beat fear is to push it away. So we're afraid of something. And so we say, you know what? I rebuke that, or that's never gonna happen. And we push it away. We just say, no, never. But sometimes... When it comes to the fears in our life that are really big, that are really deep inside of who we are, we have to do the complete opposite. We have to take that fear and look it straight in the face and say these words, what if? What if that does happen? What if the worst case scenario does play out? And we have to take that fear to the fullest extent. We have to go to the bottom of the darkest pit in our lives so that we can realize that God is at the bottom. What if? 
So this is the question that I had to ask myself. What if something does go wrong in my marriage? Worst case scenario plays out. Well, you know what? That would be horrible. That would be devastating. That would be the hardest year, the hardest couple of years that I would ever go through in my life. People would be hurt. I would be hurt. Nothing about that would be enjoyable. And you know, so many of us know someone close to us who's been sick or had cancer. Isn't that horrible? And when we're faced with those fears, we need to not push them aside. I know that it's scary, but we need to ask ourselves the question, so what if? What if they don't make it? What if the worst case scenario plays out? What if that person doesn't like me? What if something bad does happen to someone in my family? And I know that it's painful, but we have to take it to the fullest extent, not in paranoia, okay? Not in playing it over and over in our minds, that's different. But I'm talking about taking it to God and having a conversation with God. Okay, so God, if the worst case scenario breaks out in my life, because here's the second part of the question, will God get me through? If the worst thing happens, if the boat breaks, do I believe that God loves me enough to get me through? Has God proven to me that he is trustworthy and faithful and kind and that even through the worst days of my life, I will not face a single one alone? You know what's amazing about Jesus? You know, he came to earth to pay the price for our sins, to offer his life as a living sacrifice. But what's interesting about a sacrifice in the Old Testament is they, they weren't often in a lot of pain. You know, like a sacrifice of a sheep or a lamb or a cow or a goat. They died quite quickly, you know. And yet Jesus, when he came to earth to be a sacrifice, he chose a very different kind of death. Why did he do that? Why would you choose to be spat on, to be whipped, to be tortured, to be hung by your nails, by nails, on a tree and be crucified? Why would you pick such a horrible, gruesome, painful death if the point was just to be a sacrifice? You know, I think it's because Jesus wants us to know that whatever despair, whatever darkness, whatever challenge that we face in our life, that you are not alone that Jesus has experienced the very rejection that you dread, the very pain that you dread, and even the death that you might fear. And he faced it that you might know that not for a single second are you alone in how you feel. 
and he will be there with you if you ever have to face the bottom of the pit. But guess what happened to Jesus? Three days later, he rose from the dead. He had a victory over death itself. And now there is a victory for you. And nothing, absolutely nothing, can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And no matter what you might suffer, what you might be afraid of, you have a Jesus who has conquered even death. And even death is not something you need be afraid of because God is on the other side of that and victory and he gives that same victory to you. Nothing in your life is beyond Jesus's redemptive power. If he rose from the grave, he will raise you again also. Raise you out of your fear. Raise you out of your dread. Raise you out of death itself. That nothing, absolutely nothing has the power to separate you from the love of God because of the sacrifice that Jesus made for you. And so the boat broke and the men swam to shore in any possible way that they could get there. You know, sometimes in life, we will get the things we prayed for and absolutely no way will they resemble the way in which we thought we would get them. <laughs> because Paul wanted to go to Rome, but not in chains and not swimming on a plank that used to be a boat. So we've got to put our faith not in the boat, but in the God who controls the waves and the very boat itself. We've got to put our faith not in the boat, not in how we will get there, not in the journey, not in our feelings or our circumstances, but in the God who has proven that he loves us. And it doesn't mean it's not scary, but feed your courage, not your fear. And don't listen to the lie of the chatterbox that tells you that you will be alone in your worst case scenario because you will not. You have a Jesus who feels and understands every ounce of pain you could possibly ever go through. And feeding your worries and your fears and your anxieties only lets them control you, not the other way around. So give your fear to God. What if the boat breaks? I believe I serve a God who despite the pain will carry me through. For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. And it was never gonna be easy. We live in a broken world, but you are not alone. So don't live in your mind alone in your fears because they will control you and your life will be steered in the direction of anxiety and worry all of your days until you lose hope. But God says He will. God says He will. He will rise up from the dead. 
He will restore your hope. He will get you through the storm. He will love you when no one else sees your pain. He will give you a freedom and life and joy. He will. He will. He will. Let's pray.